Hello, good evening. You are listening to the first episode of OTH Football Weekly. Uh, This was formerly OTH Daily Podcast that we did earlier this year. We've come back and we are now going to feature solely our football department with our writers who cover our teams, fantasy football, draft and scouting, and we hope you enjoy our shows as we come to you hopefully every Friday or Saturday when we post our new show. My name's Ed Stang. I'll be your host uh, for our shows, and you can follow me on Twitter at Ed Stang. Tonight, we're going to go through some of the AFC West teams as we talk with our writers. Then we're also going to have a little bit of fantasy for you, for all those people who play Dynasty, uh, PPR, half PPR. We'll go with some football news for you from this past week. And then also we'll talk a little bit of draft scouting uh, with my cohort in crime, Austin Morris, who heads up the department with me. We'll get started here shortly. Hope you enjoy and hope you come back and join us next week for our new podcast that we have for episode two. Welcome back, fans. We've got uh, armchair Austin here. Uh, He is my (laughs) cohort in crime uh, at OTH. Um, We run the football department here, and we kind of do have our own little jobs and stuff. I kind of handle the NFL and the NCAA and some fantasy, and uh, right now is taking care of all of our draft scouting and giving me hands when I need it. So, like to welcome Austin to the program today. How you doing, sir? Good, brother. How about yourself? Doing good. So you can find Austin on OTH. Um, his handle is at Armchair Austin. Um, I'm Ed Stang. Uh, I'm also a writer and uh, the department head for OTH. You can find me on Twitter at Ed Stang. Uh, so tonight we're going to kind of get going on the podcast here as we come out with our first episode and we're going to talk some draft scouting uh, business as you've been kind of working on some film study over the last couple months and how's all that been going so far oh man it has been it has been an adventure um uh me and a couple of the guys in the draft side we have access to all 22 and so that's uh it's enjoyable, but it's also very time-consuming. So uh, I find myself uh, staying up pretty late most nights watching film. But it's going good, man. I'm getting eyes on a lot of prospects. and I'm excited and, and hoping that we can get a get a college football season going. Yeah, it'd be nice. Uh, they just actually announced the um, Big Ten schedule uh, earlier today. So that's a nice step in the right direction. Absolutely. So with that being said, uh, we'll kind of jump right into the questions I've got for you tonight. So uh, number one, kind of let you with this afternoon was, so who are your uh, top quarterback prospects that you have going into the 2021 draft? Well, right now, the guys that I have in my tier one are uh, Trevor Lawrence, of course. You know, he's been been a highly touted, highly looked at guy since, you know, he first set foot on Clemson. Um you know, and then there's also Justin Fields, who who kind of named for himself 
uh, last uh, last season, taking Ohio State to the college football playoffs. And then uh, number the third guy that I'm really keeping an eye on in this tier, this this top tier is uh, Trey Lance out of North Dakota State, a guy that a, a lot of people are, are are beginning to find out about and really starting to see uh, this kid is, is something special and he's something to watch um, this upcoming year. So those are my those are my, my three main guys, um, and you know a lot of people think that any one of those quarterbacks can 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 be the guy for a team. Yeah, I definitely agree on that. I'm, um, as we've talked in uh, the last couple months, uh, you know, with me, I'm a big Justin. Yeah, I'm still here. Um, As you know, with me over the last couple months and the talks we've had, I'm pretty big on. All right, OTH fans, we are back here working on our first Friday podcast for OTH Football Weekly. I've got Austin Turner. He is one of our contributors here at OTH. You can uh, follow him on Twitter at Austin Turner underscore. Austin, how are you doing tonight? I'm great, Head. How are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for uh, coming on. And we're going to kind of jump right in and talk some uh, Charger football. So how's that make you feel? Uh, I can't wait, man. I'm, I'm just hoping the season actually happens. We get, I get to watch my Chargers. It's, it's been an optimistic off season, I'd say. Definitely. Um, with me, I'm, I'm a Browns fan. So we both went through some uh, Jersey renovations uh, this year. And I'll definitely say uh, I'm a fan of what uh, the Chargers organization did on their uh, uh, redo for their uniforms. So I was definitely impressed by that. Man. Yeah. We, we've been, as a fan base, we've been waiting so long to go primary uh, powder blue and it, it it lived up to the wildest expectations of course can't wait to see those in action yep definitely should look good so we'll jump right in here so we'll go with your uh, main draft pick for the 2019 draft here and Justin Herbert was your quarterback so with Tyrod Taylor being in pra- place currently how soon do you think a bear takes over and gets that starting position? You know, I think even before the whole COVID situation, it looked like it looked like Tyrod was going to be the guy. Uh, let uh, Justin Herbert do his redshirt year, pull a kind of a Patrick Mahomes kind of thing, I think is what they're aiming for, really have, you know, because Tyrod Taylor is more than capable of leading a team to the playoffs, as he's shown in, in his time at Buffalo. Um, he's had a couple he had a rough stint in Cleveland but I mean he's familiar with the system already uh, spent a year with the Chargers Um, you know I think Herbert if you watch his tape and watch him on film you know he's not quite ready he has a pretty high ceiling I think if you see like his Rose Bowl performance against Wisconsin uh, on New Year's for example um, he can have those those dynamite performances but if you look at some like you know, I'm a I'm an Arizona State Sun Devils fan watching their game against Oregon last year. Herbert just, you know, lost Oregon that game with some poor decision making. So I think, you know, some time to, to really just incubate and, and sit behind Tyrod Taylor, especially with having no preseason. I think it'll be good for Herbert. It's, it, it's a good situation all around. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, the situation that is going on at quarterback. It actually kind of somewhat mirrors a little bit what, um, I went through with um, Baker 
a couple years ago because they had signed Tyrod in the offseason. Um, he was coming in as the unquestioned starter. There wasn't even going to be a competition uh, for the starting quarterback position. So, um, and then all of a sudden in the Jets game, Tyrod goes down with that concussion and pretty much, um, as most people know, the, the rest is history as it comes to Baker at that point. So hopefully Tyrod can stay healthy. I think um, I agree with you on the fact that if Herbert can get a year to kind of sit and learn the game and kind of get that tutelage of Tyrod, I think it'll make a big difference where if he's playing next year, I think it helps him a lot more. Absolutely. And, um, and they're kind of similar quarterbacks, really. Like they're both mobile. They both have um, good, accurate, pa- uh, short passing game. So I think it's, you know, it, it, I think the whole fan base is willing to be patient with this one. Let Tyrod take the reins. Yeah, I think it'll be key. So you had um, a big player get an extension recently, same as we did it here in Cleveland. He kind of surpassed my guy uh, with that money per year. So what um, with that extension for Bosa, uh, what do you think that means for not only the fan base, but also for um, that defense in years to come? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of things about this extension that is noteworthy. Um, obviously, Bosa, the biggest defensive contract ever. Um, it's showing that the, this front office has had um, some issues with, with player relationships in years past, right? Like you see what happened with Eric Weddle, um, even Joey Bosa himself, you know, that he had that big uh, that big holdout on his yep. rookie year, and there were some issues there and, and some some trust issues and it kind of looked like, you know, Bosa would just kind of leave when he had the first chance to do that. So obviously there's some, been some repairing done to that relationship. I mean, obviously $135 million is going to repair any relationship, but yeah, that does, that, really pretty, shows, that does it pretty easily. <laughs> it softens the blow a little bit, yeah. but I think, you know, if you, if you look at what I, they're doing, especially with, you know, Philip Rivers had a pretty messy divorce from the team too. I think they're really trying to just take care of their own guys, repair those relationships, try to get more free agents. And another thing is, I mean, speaking of that, that defense, is a, it's a good young defense. Added Kenneth Murray, first-round draft pick as well. I think that defense has a, has a special future ahead of it. Um, I think what they might be trying to do, along with Justin Herbert, going back to him a little bit, you know, they might be trying to follow that rookie contract great defense model of other that other teams have had success with like the Seahawks with Russell Wilson winning a Super Bowl Kansas City just you know won the Super Bowl with a great QB I mean Justin Herbert's not Patrick Mahomes but a great QB on a rookie contract with a with a good supporting cast Philly did it a few years ago winning the Super Bowl the Rams go to the Super Bowl with the quarterback on a rookie deal I think that you know quarterback is probably the last piece of the puzzle that you have to put in there so if you could serve you could surround a young quarterback on a rookie deal with a solid offense, which you have, and then lock in a great defense, which they're in the process of doing. Um, that's a, that's a winning formula as we've learned in recent years. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that young, strong defense. And kind of with that being said, um, have you heard anything um, as it pertains to Dar- uh, Darwin James with um, a possible contract extension for him? Uh, there hasn't been really talk. I think we're still a year away from those talks really getting solidified, but you have to imagine he's going to get a monster deal as well. He, as we kind of learned last year, 
Um, that defense needs Derwin James. He's the most important player on that defense. Even as a rookie, he was when he uh, led the Chargers to the playoffs, basically, um, and completely shut down Lamar Jackson single-handedly in the playoffs. Um, yeah, because yeah, I, would, I mean, yeah, I mean, I would think they would want to not have basically a Jamal Adams show happen with him because I, I agree with you. I think James is a very integral part to the back end of that defense and kind of the lifeline of how that defensive plays. Absolutely. He's kind of viewed as the next face of the franchise, really. And I think that that kind of aligns with what I was saying about relationships is you want to keep a great relationship with a player like him because he is a game changer in and out. So um, he, he's got to be next. Definitely. I agree with that. So kind of jumping on off of that one a little bit, you kind of mentioned draft picks. So let's talk uh, biggest losses and additions in free agency this year. What are kind of your um, takeaways on who was added and who was lost this year? Two big names were lost. Phil Rivers and Melvin Gordon. Um, Phil Rivers has been the lifeblood of that team for so long. You know, the last quarterback to start, for the chart start a game for the Chargers, not in Philip Rivers was Drew Brees, so that tells you how long it's been. Um, you know, it, 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 it's brutal. He was the heart and soul of that team. Um, but if you watched any Charger game last year, you would know that it was time to move on. Um, it wasn't entirely his fault. The O line was not up to par, but um, it was just time. And, and with a high draft pick, it was time to let him go. And then Melvin Gordon, on the other hand, I know we'll talk about him in a little bit, but um, it kind of proved he's another big name and they had a chance to sign him. He didn't want to sign uh, last off season. And then his production this year just didn't warrant the big contract he wanted, especially with Austin Eckler um, producing well. So not a lot of huge losses, big names lost, but not a lot of production lost. Um, additions though, this is the most active the Chargers have been in an offseason in a long time. Uh, they trade for Trey Turner, who's going to who's gonna start as, on, at guard. Nick Virgil's big pickup um, for that linebacking core because Thomas Davis is gone after just one year. They needed another middle linebacker, especially, but you know, they're going to have a, a rookie starting middle linebacker, Kenneth Murray. So then having Nick Virgil there, who had over 100 tackles last year, is going to be huge. Chris Harris Jr. Um, just bolstering that secondary that is uh, pretty pretty stacked if you take a look at it. Um, you know, Casey Hayward, of course, still out there. Chris Harris Jr. is going to be solid there. And then Brian Bulaga, longtime Green Bay Packer at tackle. That's another big move, especially when you're going to be transitioning to uh, mobile quarterbacks, which the Chargers seem to be doing. It's important to get that line ready and, and be ready for RPOs and um, more running game with Austin Eckler. So a lot of moves um, and a couple more big names than the Chargers usually get. So exciting offseason for sure. Yeah, I'd love to say you guys definitely did bolster some things up. I think um, I agree with the whole Rivers um, thought that it was just time. Um, I mean, he he made a lot of what I would call unnecessary moves. judgments and throws and really tried to force the issue on a lot of things and it just wasn't the time to do it and um, as much of an icon as he is in um, the San Diego area and what he's done um, I definitely feel that it 
it needed to happen. Um, yeah. and hopefully everything works out for both sides, um, with that, but definitely, yeah. um, as we kind of go on then with this was kind of going a little bit to with the Gordon, um, aspect. So I, I do a lot of fantasy and I've gotten more into it this year. Um, and I think this is going to be a possible huge year for Eckler, um, I think he could easily be um, a top running back um, in this league. So how do you think he will be as running back one for the Chargers being that workhorse featured back? The exciting thing about Austin Eckler is he is the most dynamic two-way running back that the Chargers have had since LaDainian Tomlinson meaning that, you know, he, he caught 92 balls last year out of the backfield and almost a thousand receiving yards. And that's not really talked about a ton where he, he didn't have as many rushing yards. He only had 500, but that he was split in time with Melvin Gordon at that point. That's what they're adding, you know, with subtracting uh, Melvin Gordon and putting Austin Eckler's RB one, you're, you're getting, you know, like I mentioned the RPO game when Justin Herbert eventually takes over, you're going to, you're going to get some dynamic play from Austin Eckler back there. He is a total fantasy. I don't know if you could call him sleeper anymore because he kind of broke out last year. But I mean, if you're a P- if you're in a PPR league, he has to be on your list because he's going to catch a hundred balls and he's going to rush for 800 yards and he's going to receive a thousand. Yeah, he was definitely one on my list and I've kind of talked about him up and down a lot um, through the fantasy community of like, this is a guy that's going to kind of, I would say, I won't necessarily call him a breakout guy because you could kind of call that last year. But I think with him having the full workload and he's one of the very few three down backs in the league right now that he's going to have a pretty explosive year. And he, I mean, hell, he might even come close to 2000 uh, all purpose yards uh, when everything's said and done. Yeah, absolutely. And and I also want to sneak in there um, for the fantasy players out there. Josh Kelly, Joshua Kelly uh, was a was a fourth round draft pick this year. He, he was projected to go higher than that. He played on a rough UCLA offense running back. He's going to get some playing time this year. He's a physical back. Um, he'll, he'll get some goal line touches, some short yard t- uh, touches, which Eckler has seemed to struggle on. But um, if if you need a late round flyer on, on somebody that could have breakout potential, Joshua Kelly, write that name down. Yeah, I definitely heard a lot of, about him in the last uh, few days. So we'll uh, wrap up here with the last question. I'm with uh, Austin Turner. He covers the Chargers for us at OTH. You can follow him um, on Twitter at Austin Turner underscore. So, you guys get to move into a brand new stadium this year. Now it doesn't come with the complete fanfare, obviously, unfortunately with um, no fans in the stands, how, what seems to be what might happen most uh, across the board, which I think actually that was already decided in California that there wouldn't be any fans, but how is the fan base looking uh, towards having this new stadium and are they going to actually come and support this team um, like they haven't done really in the last couple of years with them being down in um, LA doing the soccer stadium? Yeah, it's been a rough go the last few years. Obviously the charges have become a bit of a meme online about the, the fan attendance, but they're, 
I think this the wounds are starting to heal from the San Diego move. A lot of longtime fans are starting to get over it because it, it was just so messy and um, unfortunate, really. They belong in San Diego. Everyone knows that. Every NFL fan knows the Chargers belong in San Diego. But I think those, those wounds are starting to heal. The, the stadium looks beautiful. You know, I drove past it the other day. It looks just gorgeous, and I can't wait to go to a game there. Um, and there's some optimism, you know. And, yeah, I do think that fans are going to start to show up more because one thing – people might not realize if, if you're not familiar with the Southern California area is that there's a, Hey, there's a lot of transplants, uh, people that aren't from here, but also, you know, there wasn't a team in LA for over 20 years. Um, you know, the, the Rams and Raiders leave in 94. That's a whole generation, including my generation. I grew up without a team in LA. So there, yeah. there's been other, uh, you know, other fan bases have been prominent. Like I remember in high school, I'd, I'd see more Patriots and Packers and Steelers jerseys than anything else, really, you know. So people have other attachments. I think, of course, winning builds a fan base. So if the Chargers can win, which this year probably not, but maybe in the future they're building something, um, you know, that, that'll build the fan base. I'll get fans out there. Another thing is obviously moving out of the soccer stadium where there's 30,000 seats, tickets were outrageously expensive to those games. You know, I would yeah. look – all the time, every week, I'd look, and it would be you know two hundred bucks plus for the worst <laughs> seats in the house, which there weren't really bad seats, but yeah, um, yeah, that the opposing fan bases. If you're a Steelers fan, you're they come to LA once a year, at you know less than you know once every couple of years, uh, you're gonna you're be more likely to pay for, for those tickets than you would if you're a Charger fan. You get eight games a year. So yeah. I think that has to that's gonna make a difference. But um yeah, I'm excited to see them in the new stadium. I'm ex- I'm interested to see you know, how divided the stadium will be with Charger fans and, and the opposing fan bases, especially, you know, when the Chiefs come every year it, in, in StubHub Center it was it was a sea of red in the stadium. So yeah. I'm interested <laughs> to see how split it's gonna be. It won't be obvious it's not gonna be like Seattle where there's no opposing fans. It's not gonna be like even the Rams games in LA where it's mostly Rams fans, it's, it's going to be more 50 50, but I think the meme will have to die. Hopefully um, <laughs> there'll be, there will be more, ch- more charger fans this year for sure. Yep. It's or what we all year. hope for. Um, and on that note, Austin, thanks for joining me. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast and hopefully we'll get you on again soon as we get into the season that hopefully we'll start on time and we'll get to see some football this year. Uh, likewise man thanks for having me on and i hope we get to watch some football this year awesome man take care have a good one thanks again you too thank you yep all right oth listeners we are back and we are continuing our afc west preview and our first podcast here this is oth football weekly i've got Josh Libby, uh, he's a writer for us, and he also does some fantasy writing for um, our team as well. Um, you can follow Josh um, on Twitter at Josh Libby Five, and he uh, follows and writes for the Raiders. So, welcome uh, to the show, Josh. How are you tonight? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Awesome, glad to have you. And uh, we'll jump right in, talk some uh, Raider football. Um, so. You guys got a new stadium. Um, the pictures I've seen so far looks awesome. Um, with the whole change going on and how 
the transitions gone from being in Oakland for all those years and kind of leaving where all the main fan base is. Um, how is the rate, how has Raider nation been with accepting the fact that they are going to be playing in Vegas this year in an immaculate looking stadium? So the new stadium is unreal. And even though the Raiders are making the transition from Oakland, I think it's hard not to like the stadium and the Raiders have such a strong fan base. I mean, it goes along the NFL. These guys are just crazy with silver and black face paint going nuts. And it's well known around the NFL that the Raiders have a mean fan base. So I think that should translate over. And I think the team is going to make a great transition as well with a lot of new draft picks this year. A, a younger team for the most part. So I think it's really going to be exciting to watch in Vegas this season. Definitely. Yeah. It shouldn't be a, it shouldn't be too hard of a quick flight over there once uh, fans are let back in the stadium. So as we kind of transition uh, from there, so David Carr kind of came under a lot of scrutiny um, over the past year. Now that he's going to have this second year, uh, under Gruden and in his system. How do you think uh, Carr will do, and what do you think the expectations are uh, of him going into this season? So for this season, with Derek Carr again, I'm really excited to watch him play with Josh Jacobs again in the year two after a really strong rookie season, and also Henry Ruggs, big deep threat, who I think can really make an impact on this offense. So Derek Carr finished 2019 with a career high in yards at 4,054, along with 21 touchdowns and eight interceptions. So for Carr, I think those are about what what Raider fans can expect from him. And career high in yards, I think that's a great achievement, obviously, for any quarterback. But if he's only throwing 21 touchdowns, I think the yards really should be disregarded. So big, a pivotal point for me in this Raiders season next year is going to be Derek Carr doesn't have to have a humongous season for the Raiders to be successful. If he can put up numbers like eight interceptions, I would take eight interceptions for a full season from Carr any year as long as we can incorporate Josh Jacobs and Henry Ruggs, Darren Waller, and use these threats that have already shown to bring the Raiders some success I think that's how the offense and Derek Carr is really gonna strive this season yeah because I know um, you're really big on fantasy and you do some fantasy work for us and I've gotten back into the game again um, being in the fantasy leagues and everything so we'll kind of transition off of that because I'm definitely a huge fan of both Jacobs and Waller when it comes to uh, the fantasy world um, how do you kind of feel they fit in and um, what kind of numbers do you think Ruggs can put up and is he a viable um, wide receiver three flex position in most lineups? Yeah, for sure. So when I look at Henry Ruggs and Darren Waller, I really see them together about splitting a huge target share from Derek Carr. And I think, one of them is going to end up coming out on top, which I really hate to say because I love in my fantasy leagues to rely on a tight end 
that is going to put up large numbers for me because there's only a certain amount of those in the league, in my opinion. Yes. So I think Darren Waller will continue to strive with Derek Carr. And I do think Henry Ruggs will play a big role in this offense, but I don't see that correlating to fantasy. I just don't think the consistency is going to be there to really have him rostered in your league and have confidence that he's going to put up numbers every game. He certainly has the speed to put up huge weeks, but I don't think that's going to be an every week thing for him. Yeah, I, I definitely see where you're coming on that one. I I mean, I could see him as that um, bench player. You kind of throw him in a lineup when you have your main guys out and you kind of need that third receiver for your lineup. Um, and hopefully the matchup is right that week. And then it's hopefully he kind of pays dividends at, at that point. Yeah, certainly. And another bench player that I'm actually really excited to watch this season is Lynn Bowden Jr. from Kentucky. He can he played some quarterback at Kentucky. He also lined up in the slot and was a main rusher for them. So I think if Lynn Bowden gets the snaps, he could be a real threat to most fantasy teams. And it doesn't take a lot if he's throwing a few balls a game, catching a ball, rushing for a touchdown. And I think having the versatility like that could definitely produce large numbers. But it's the same thing with rugs. I don't know how much, how many snaps they're going to get. I don't know how many touches. So that's going to be a really important part of fantasy, especially in PPR leagues. Yeah, definitely. I agree on that one. So um, big free agency timeframe for you guys um, this year. So tell us a little bit about um, the guys you lost and the guys that you've added to hopefully help bolster um, your chances at maybe taking down the Chiefs this year in the AFC. Yeah, totally. So there are two big free agency gains and losses, one for each that, that really stood out to me. In the gain, this one is not many people might agree with this, but it's Marcus Mariota. He's 26 years old, a former first round pick. And I think there's a lot of room for Mariota to develop in the national football league. Could it be with the Raiders? Maybe, maybe not. But if Derek Carr is to go down and miss a large part of the season, I think Mariota could fill in really well and even develop into the next Raiders quarterback. If that's what the vision is when Derek, when Derek Carr is his time's up. I agree with on that one because I think um, a lot of the reports that came out on that was that Gruden is a big fan of Mariota. And when um, they were going through the draft process, when he was still at ESPN at the time, um, I believe like he was a really high on him as a player coming out. Yeah. So I think that should definitely play into some part of the Raiders season, only at some point. But down the line, I would love to see Mariota develop, even if it's not on the Raiders, into the quarterback. Everyone thought he was going to be coming out of Oregon. So um, with that, who do, who do you think um, 
your losing wise is kind of hurt you guys a little bit this year in free agency um, that you've lost on the team? So I think Carl Joseph is one of the losses that really stands out to me. And he was, he's been talked around trade rumors and you could tell his time in Oakland was up, but I would love to have him been on a two year deal or something to at least fill a role in the Raiders secondary while they're trying to figure the defense out. But at the same time, this completely opens the door for one of my favorite players coming out of last year's draft, who is Jonathan Abram, a really hard-hitting, versatile free safety who I think can really make an impact. But getting hurt week one of last year certainly didn't help his development. So this season will really show if he's the next guy in the secondary for the Raiders. Yeah, I was, I was pretty high on him um, coming out uh, last year and being on this team. I mean, granted last year, he's most notable for his uh, trash talking on hard knocks um, (laughs) for what, for when that was going on and then him going down week one didn't help too much. Um, But I think, yeah, him coming back fresh start new season, should should be good for him and the Raiders defense. Yeah, I would completely agree. But that's only if he steps up, because that's the big thing. Carl Joseph could end up being a huge loss if Jonathan Abram can't fill some sort of role. So that really has me worried a little bit in the season, but I have faith in Jonathan Abram to really fill in that role. Yeah, and I'm kind of and kind of going with Carl Joseph a little bit. I'm kind of glad um my guy's got him now that he's a Cleveland Brown. So I'm uh, definitely happy that he's on our roster um, filling in a need that we had um, with some weaknesses we were showing in our backside um, of our defense and just putting in another, uh, I think Joseph was a first round draft pick, I believe. Um, yeah. You, we get to add him with Greedy, who's a second year player and a second year draft pick. Um, then you got Denzel Ward in there and then we just picked up Delpit this year. So, um, the Browns have a pretty stout, young defensive backfield themselves. And I think Joseph will help them kind of solidify that unit too. So I look forward to seeing him play this year. Yeah, that, that team should be very exciting to watch. And it really reminds me of the Raiders secondary this year too. Also very young with some potential. We'll see what happens. Um, So as we kind of get towards the end here, I've got Josh Libby. He's our uh, writer for the Las Vegas Raiders, and you can follow him on Twitter at Josh Libby five. He also does some fantasy work for us as well. So we'll wrap things up with this last question for you. So because we know uh, you've got the returning Super Bowl champs in your division kind of leading the way and Mahomes just signed that monster deal. Um, how much of a force do you think the Raiders can be in challenging uh, the Chiefs for the division title? I think the Chiefs are one of the most, are one of the toughest opponents in the NFL. So it really scares me when I look at this Raiders offense. Who they have their strengths, they have their weaknesses. But personally, overall, I think if the Raiders offense can step up and really utilize. Henry Ruggs, Josh Jacobs again, 
then they're really putting themselves out there for to compete with the Chiefs. And on the defensive side of the ball, I think it's really going to be the same thing. There's strengths, there's weaknesses, but if they can step up when they need to, I really don't see a reason that the Chiefs can, or the Raiders, excuse me, can at least compete with the Chiefs. Do you, do you see the Raiders possibly grabbing one of those extra wild card spots this year in the new playoff format? As much as I hate to say it, I don't think so. And that's just one of the consequences of having such a young team, a developing team, if that. So I think down the line, this season might be more beneficial, no matter the record. It's just getting these players, getting their snaps and seeing what the Raiders are going to look like in the future. Definitely. Sounds like um, the Raiders are possibly going in the right direction. I know I'm definitely looking forward to seeing some games um, in that new stadium. I think it looks uh, awesome so far from everything I've seen. So um, definitely look forward to seeing uh, what the Raiders do and especially for myself because I got some shares on uh, Jacobs and Waller this year. So I'll be watching uh, the Raiders closely. (laughs) Thanks, Josh. I appreciate your time and I'm sure we'll talk again. Thanks for having me. It was great joining you. Awesome. Thanks again. And talk to you later. Yep. All right. OTH fans. Welcome back. We are going into our uh, hot topics news of the day. Uh, or news of the week, I should say, for the NFL. I've got uh, Chris Mabry here. He writes for us um, on all NFL topics for OTH. You can follow Chris um, on Twitter at Chris underscore Mabry 93. Chris, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Awesome. Well, welcome to the show uh, for our first weekly podcast here for the football department at OTH. And we will uh, jump right in here. So um, a lot of news going on, um, especially with a lot of quarterbacks over the last uh, couple days this week. So what are your thoughts on all these false positive tests that are um, going through uh, testing right now? I think it hurts a lot of teams uh, because they don't know whether it, it is a true uh, positive or a false positive and with the season just around the corner only a, about a month away it kind of leaves teams hanging on what to do with, with their players as far as putting them on COVID um, you know the COVID list or just to keep them on the active roster uh, and a lot of players like Matthew Stafford and um, Minshew They've had the false positive tests, and it's kind of unsure what what they're going to do going forward. Yeah, I mean, it's been interesting when we kind of look at all the sports that have been playing, and um, and obviously you have um, NBA, which is in their bubble, and um, you've got... Uh, MLS, which has been in their bubble, you haven't really heard too much about false positives coming out of those groups with their testing sites. 
Um, haven't really even heard much with the MLB. Pretty much, I mean, if they've had a positive test, it's been positive, um, especially with the couple outbreaks they've had. So I'm just wondering why why such the difference between the other major leagues right now and um, the difference in the NFL's testing. And I think they should have uh, the NFL should do like a bubble. They should have done a bubble like MLS or the NBA because it seems like it's working out so far. Uh, no, really, any stoppages with their seasons. Yeah, there, it's nice seeing actually sports playing on the regular with the bubble. I just, I one thing in the NFL, I think it's a little bit harder because, um, the. I mean, the, they can do the best they can with their facilities um, and stuff like that. But, I mean, I think a lot of it's just more so on the players and the staff and the personnel being smart when they're out of the building and taking the precautions there um, that will help all this the most. Right. Yeah. So as we kind of get off of the whole COVID part, we'll kind of leave that for what it is as we go day by day with that. So there was some news coming out today from um, Bruce Arians out of Tampa Bay saying that uh, Ronald Jones is going to be the unquestioned starter. Um, and we also know here recently in the last couple of weeks that the Buccaneers just signed uh, McCoy. So, how do you how effective do you think McCoy can be in this offense if Arians is coming out already saying that Jones is going to be the featured back I feel like McCoy he's a proven starter he's he's played in Philadelphia uh and Buffalo he he knows I wouldn't say Arian system but I think he can play well. He, he's been good everywhere he's been. Um, and then you have Jones, who's in his third year. And he, I think he's still trying to learn. But having McCoy, I feel like he can probably teach Jones some questions. Or not questions, uh, some things and kind of show them the ropes and maybe they can be a one or one or two back tandem. I mean, I, I always thought Jones was a pretty good, um, athletic back in his own right. Um, and I mean, he's done decent the last couple of years. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily see him as like, I see other backs in the league that are strictly like that first and second down type back. And then you pull them and somebody else is a third down back. I mean, I see Jones more as kind of one of those all-around three-down style backs, more so than like, say, a bruising running back like um, a Nick Chubb or like Justin um, Jonathan Taylor, where those guys are only going to really, for the most part, see their their place on first and second down, where Jones will really be a third is a three-down back in this league. Right, and he he might Jones might start a, a couple games to give McCoy a little rest, since we don't know, you know, how teams are performing after a long break. So they might 
kind of go back and forth on who's starting. All right. Fair enough. So we're kind of getting close. We've got, um, we're coming up on Thursday afternoon. Uh, will be the initial opt-out deadline for any player uh, currently on an NFL roster. Now, this doesn't keep people from having um, opt-outs after this deadline, but I know with after the deadline, you must have a medical diagnosis um, and be at risk to have this opt-out work. Do you see any other big name players opting out possibly before the 4 p.m. deadline on Thursday? I don't. I'm, some players have already opted out. I know New England have like eight or nine players opting out. The only big name out of that was Hightower, but I don't think that any other big names are, are going to opt out there was rumors or not rumors but speculation that lawrence with the cowboys demarcus lawrence he was going to be uh sitting out but then had a change of heart uh as far as that goes i, I don't see anyone uh opting out this year yeah because it's been interesting seeing um the players who have uh, opted out so far. I mean, I think they're up to about 60 now. Um, an interesting trend, though, seems to be it's a lot of interior players. So there's been quite a few defensive tackles and offensive linemen um, that have already opted out in this period as we kind of lead up to this Thursday deadline. Right. It, it's going to be interesting to see who is deciding to opt out, which which names would would be, and how many players of a certain team will uh, will opt out, if any. Yeah, exactly. It should be interesting to see uh, what else happens, because um, I know there's some big free agent signings for teams. Have those players have opted out um, and given them them given those teams some interesting new thoughts on how um, are they going to fill those roster spots um, now that the person is technically basically off the books for a whole year um, until they count next year. Right. So as we kind of get off of um, the opt out aspect, this kind of came, uh, has been floating around Twitter for the last couple days. And I thought it was kind of interesting because the ruling just came down within the last week or so for um, Antonio Brown. So there's a lot of speculation out there that there's a couple teams that are looking at him, but the NFL just dropped the eight day, eight game suspension on him um, for the year at some point with having this looming overhead and kind of the threat of him uh, retiring permanently and all the kind of shenanigans that he went through last year how likely do you think it is that somebody is going to take a risk on AB this year and um, basically take up the fact that he's not going to be there for half the season I think a team is more likely going to take take AB uh, Seattle 
was one of the teams that is in talks to to sign him. If they don't, if they have a playoff run towards the back half of the season, in the last few seasons, it has been that way, and Russell Wilson has pretty much bailed them out with his running ability and uh, seems like talented plays. I, I think if a team is really in need of a receiver or is looking to get in the playoffs, yeah, I, I see him going to a team, but maybe not right now. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting to see um, what happens on that front. Cause I mean, it, I think in the end, it's going to be a pretty big risk to take AB just for the fact that unless they give him, say, a special um, stipulation to his um, suspension where um, he's at least allowed to be in the facility, but he just can't practice and he can't be there for on game day, obviously, Um I could see I could see some teams taking that risk on him. I I just find it hard that some some of these upper echelon teams would kind of want to get their hands into that mess because you never know. I mean, honestly, at this point, when when is he just going to trigger and go off the rails again? And then now you just lost. Um, the investment in hopefully having him for maybe a play, maybe a, a stretch run to get into the playoffs or even a playoff run at that. Right. And, and I think right now he should uh, at least take care of himself first before getting, getting on a team and, and playing again. Cause he kind of, you know, I guess, needed some help and uh, he kind of acted out on social media and, and teams kind of steered away. Which I mean, in society now, I mean, we've seen it with um, all the social stuff going on these days. I mean, you, you post stuff on Twitter or Instagram and stuff like that. I mean, there's people losing their jobs for doing stupid things. Right. I, mean, I think that's a lot what happened with AB um, last year is he just kept doing stupid things publicly that everybody was seeing and people are just like, I don't want this headache. No. And, no. And, and most teams don't want, I mean, they don't want that kind of disruption in their locker room either, regardless of how much production a player makes. I mean, sometimes the, enough's enough. Yeah, that, that's true, and we'll just see what happens throughout the season. Yeah, I mean that that Seattle team. If he did go get on that Seattle team, just kind of speculating, that would be an interesting fit into there because they already have um, DK Metcalf, who I think is going to have what could be a really good season this year. Um, I mean, he played well last year, but I think he can be even better um, with year two and another year with Russ and getting to play with him. But then you have Lockett 
um, there as well. So like if you put those two on the field with an AB and he's in tip top shape and healthy, I mean, R Russ, we could really see play to a level that we may have not ever seen him play to before. Right. He's already a Super Bowl quarterback now, and he might be another champion this year. I mean, give him weapons like that to throw to? <laughs> That's pretty scary. They're, they're going to be a tough team for, for any team that faces him, whether it's in the regular season or postseason. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think they're I think they're right there with San Francisco to who's going to win that division um, alone. But I mean, you could easily put Seattle um, in the mix as Super Bowl contenders, especially since they just added Jamal Adams. Right. It's it's going to be crazy with Seattle. It'd be an interesting thing to see. Um uh, this is Chris Mamry. He's a contributor here for us at OTH. You can follow him at Chris underscore Mabry93. Uh, Chris, thanks for uh, coming on the podcast this week and hope to have you again on another time soon. Thank you. I'm glad to be here and uh, hope to come back again soon. Definitely. Sounds good. Have a good night. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Welcome back, OTH fans. Uh, this is the OTH Football Weekly Podcast. Uh, I am Ed Stang, your host, and I am here with one of my uh, department fantasy gurus. This is Jeff Pratt. You can find him on Twitter at Hotline Fantasy. Um, definitely, I suggest following him. He has a lot of great content when it comes to fantasy football, and we're going to talk some fantasy sports as uh, we get to you here um, Luckily, I was fortunate enough to meet Jeff through uh, Twitter and had followed him um, ever since in the last couple months as I've gotten myself back into fantasy football. So, Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Ed. You know, glad to be here. Glad I could uh, start working for you guys on the site. I'm having a great time and uh, definitely looking forward to this conversation. Definitely. Uh, enjoy the stuff that you've uh, wrote so far. Um, done really good. Um, Jeff. Uh, is also um, a main writer for us as he is covering um, the football side of things for me as well. Um, he is covering the New England Patriots. So as much as to his undelight this year, he has no Tom Brady on his team. So we'll kind of see, though, how uh, Cam Newton does for the Patriots this year. It should be interesting. Yeah, you know – as much as I am unhappy about Tom Brady leaving the team, there is an air of excitement and, you know, mystery about what's going to happen with this Patriots team. We haven't had this kind of excitement in a long time. Obviously, every year we look forward to competing in the Super Bowl. This year, that may not be the case. I mean, Cam Newton, he's a former MVP. Hopefully he can get back to that level. But I know fans are excited just about something different. So I'm excited about this year. Yeah, change is sometimes always good, and it uh, kind of brings new life into a team, but we'll kind of see how they do um, in the AFC East there. But we aren't talking AFC East today. We're going to talk some fantasy football. So uh, first up on the docket for this question for you, Jeff. Uh, so who are some late-round targets in a half-point PPR league with no super flex that have kind of caught your interest? Um, as we know, 
most people know all the, say, the first, say, six-round guys um, that pretty much get targeted. So kind of who are those back-level uh, guys that you're really looking at that might have a year um, in those flex wide receiver three positions? Yeah, so when you're digging in the late rounds of drafts, you're looking for guys who will see particularly larger workloads than you would expect at that position that you're taking them. So the first guy that pops into mind is some guy that, uh, or one guy, sorry, that I usually look at picking up on every one of my teams, and that's Jordan Howard. Volume is king for fantasy running backs. Howard is in a great situation to receive 200-plus carries for the Dolphins this year. They vacated basically their entire running back core. They brought in Howard and Matt Burita, who I think is much more of a change-of-pace guy. You always look for guys who can handle a heavy workload in late rounds. Howard has proven that he can be capable of doing so, and I think he has great value in the ninth round, which is usually where you can get him in half-point PPR leads. Yeah, that is, that situation down in Miami is definitely going to be interesting. Uh, I know I've myself have targeted um, Brita um, in a couple of my drafts, definitely when I've gotten into that kind of 12th round area and nobody's really picked him up. I think he's going to make a difference for Miami down there. Um, but it could all be interesting to how the workload is split um, with the situation down there, just with how long is Fitzpatrick going to start? Um, when do they plan on bringing Tua in? I think there's a lot of dynamics there that could play a role into how the running back usage is for that team this year. Oh, absolutely. I can't argue with you there. And to be fair, I probably think that Matt Breida is a better talent than Jordan Howard. I just think that Jordan Howard is a better fantasy running back, or at least he is in a situation to be a better fantasy running back because of his capability to handle a large workload, which we haven't seen yet from Matt Breida. Maybe he can do that, but you know he's been stuck in San Francisco behind two very competent backs for a couple of years now. So this is definitely an interesting situation. To- definitely. I mean, I'll be watching that one myself. So as we kind of get into uh, question number two here, so what I pose to you in the dynasty league, which I'm in a couple of those this year, um, how do you, how do you like to construct your team? Do you like looking at young talent or do you go more a proven vet route? Jeff, you there? All right, so as we kind of transition out of um, the first question and we get into number two for you here, uh, what I pose to you. So I got into Dynasty uh, more so this year than I have in the past. I'd like to hear your thoughts on how do you like to construct your teams in uh, the different kind of various Dynasty drafts that there are. Do you like to kind of target the younger, uh, more unproven talent, year one, year two guys, or do you like to stick with the known proven vets um, that have gotten good four or five years in the league are known fantasy scores? Yeah. So I guess if I have to answer that question directly, um, I'm going to go with more of those proven vet sides, even though it is a dynasty draft. Uh, but really for me, there are specific cutoff ages that I like to stick to when drafting in a dynasty startup. Uh, this is really imperative when you're looking at the running back position, especially Guys like 
Christian McCaffrey, Zeke, Saquon, all the elite running backs in the league right now, none of these guys are older than 24. For me, that cutoff age usually is 25 for drafting running backs. Obviously, you know, if a guy like Le'Veon Bell is falling to you in extremely late rounds for some reason, you have to take a shot on him. But then moving on from that position, as for quarterbacks, I like to cut them off at like 30. I mean, QBs have proven that they can remain in their prime up until even their late 30s. So I'm not really worried about that position. Uh, and then for wide receiver, guys like Michael Thomas, D-Hop, and Devontae Adams are all 27. That's usually my cutoff age. As much as I love guys like Julio Jones, I can't say that he has three or four more elite years in them, which I do feel comfortable saying about those guys. And then tight end, you know, they have they take such a physical toll on their bodies every season that I usually like to stick to 25 for them. Grabbing guys like Hawkinson, Fant, and Mark Andrews, all of them are targets for me. So, you know, if I have to choose between a proven vet and a young guy, I am probably going to lean towards the proven vet, but I do like, I do have that specific cutoff range that I stick with. Yeah, the one thing I noticed the most, like in my leagues this year, kind of going through, um, and I'm in a couple different sets of leagues. I got into my first Debbie league this year. So kind of going through the NFL drafting, and then we went in and we did the college drafting after that. It, it's interesting to see kind of the different strategies that happen. Um, and I kind of mentioned this in conversations that we've had in group chats because of our one fantasy league, I have all of us in a chat group. And I know I remember mentioning like my one league was just flying off the charts with like running backs. It, it was insane. I, I was sitting in like the eighth position in that draft and I was like fortunate to get Chubb um, who I obviously targeted being a Browns fan, but he's going to have a really good year, but like pretty much within those first eight picks, five running backs went right away. And I was like, "Um, yeah, there went my second round pick of Chubb waiting because I've noticed this year when you get kind of in the back part of that first round, you kind of have to, you're dictated a little bit to what you have to do with your draft because of what the other guys are doing. Oh, absolutely. And uh, especially in drafts this year, the running back depth is just not there. So when you're drafting with guys who know what they're doing, you're going to see that happen a lot. Like I know it's crazy, but you're going to see five or six running backs fly off the board in the first seven picks. You know, I was in a league the other day that was drafting, and Michael Thomas was the only receiver that went in the first round, which I think is absolutely absurd. But you're 100% right that it does dictate how your draft is going to go. Because if you have to take a running back like Chubb early, that changes your entire draft strategy moving down the line. So it definitely uh, is interesting this year. Yeah, that's why, because I think in my first draft this year, um, somebody gave me a little bit of flack in the um, in the chat, like, wow, you're picking Mahomes that early. I um, was like, well, in, in my mind, I'm thinking, and I was the fourth pick in that draft. And yeah. I had gone in my head like, well, Thomas was gone one, McCaffrey was gone two. I'm not really that, I'm not really that big of a Saquon Barkley fans, but he was gone number three anyway. And I was like, well, let me get one of the most dynamic, dynamic passers in the game right now that's almost a guaranteed lock for two touchdowns a game and probably 250 uh at least throwing a game so 
I'll yeah. Take homes. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. yeah. I like that. You know, I've never been a huge guy on drafting quarterbacks early, but I'm all about getting your guy at your position and not waiting and risking letting someone else take him. So if Mahomes is your guy and you know, I can't argue with you there, he's going to put up a ton of fantasy points this year. Easily could be QB one. I know a lot of people are still in the Lamar camp that he's going to get it done, but I'm all about getting your guy. So I like that for you. Yeah. I mean, I, I legitimately see there's really only two quarterbacks really to take in the first round um, out of all the other positional players um, and Mahomes and Jackson are that, um, in my opinion, um, when I look at fantasy drafts and players and what they're going to bring now, obviously being a Browns fan, I don't want to see Lamar have success, but um, at the same time, I mean, I understand the kid is a dynamic player in this league, um, but as he gets older, he's going to need to change his game. Um, he's going to need to become a little bit more accurate with his passing um, and not rely so much on his legs because that will take a toll on him as he starts to get older here, probably in year four and five um, in the league. Oh, absolutely. I mean, as much as we hate to bring in the comparisons of running quarterbacks, you look at guys like RG3, Michael Vick, there's a reason they fade or get injured out of the league. You cannot rely on your legs as a quarterback, especially when you have a frame like Lamar does. I mean, if we're talking about Josh Allen or Cam Newton, those guys are built and they are ready to take hits. Lamar Jackson, he's not that big. So, you know, he takes a hit or two, lands awkwardly, has a knee injury, or even just any lower body injury, he's out for the season. That could derail his entire career. So I agree 100% with you that he needs to improve his accuracy. I think he has potential to be a good passer, which I know I couldn't really say with guys like RG3, but he needs to start working on that now rather than later down the line because he's risking injury every time he steps out of the pocket and rushes. Definitely. So um, a lot of craziness going on in the fantasy world here in the past week. And um, I've seen a lot of the guys post and um, Alex, another one of the writers for us that does a lot of scouting and fantasy. um, He actually knows of somebody taking uh, Edwards Hilaire as pick one in a redraft of fantasy. Um, What are your kind of thoughts on this crazy this that's going with Edwards Hilaire now granted I don't necessarily disagree that he's going to be a high impact player in fantasy this year especially being paired with Mahomes but taking him first pick in a redraft I think we're getting a little out of hand uh, right away with somebody that hasn't even touched the field in the NFL right now yeah that's a great question and it's actually something I'm currently writing an article about for the site, I'm with you. I do think the Clyde hype has gotten out has gotten out of control to an extent. The main problem, I think, is that people are just expecting him to have a similar rookie season to Kareem Hunt in 2017, which is a bit ridiculous. Hunt was otherworldly that year. He led the NFL in rushing yards with over 1,300 and scored 11 total touchdowns. Now, I'm not saying Clyde doesn't have the potential in this Chiefs offense to put those kind of numbers up because he does. I mean, look at what Kareem Hunt did. He could reach that. I think that's his ceiling. But you just can't expect him to put up those numbers, which is what I think people who are taking him first overall in redraft leagues are doing. Yeah, I mean, I 
in, plus two with the redraft, obviously it's going to depend on what your, your point strategy is. It's a, is it a half point PPR? Is it full PPR? Um, but I mean, you're still talking about a rookie in the NFL that is going to have to learn how to pick up, excuse me, pick up the blitz um, and not get the prize possession of Kansas city killed um, when he does have to stay in the pass block. So, I mean, he's going to have to prove himself to Indy Reed to um, I think be in there to handle the workload. So it's going to be interesting to see how fast out of the gate, the use of Edwards Hilaire is um, if he is a true RB one for them, or is it going to be a little bit more of a running back by committee um, just until Andy thinks he's like really ready to go and take the responsibility of being in that backfield with Mahomes? Yeah, absolutely. You do raise a great point there. Clyde Edwards Hilaire is by no means a finished product, obviously. He has the talent to be electric in the open field, whether that's as a receiver or as a running back. But can he do the little things? Like you said, can he protect Mahomes? He hasn't shown that he's been able to be a good pass blocker whatsoever so far, picking up the blitz, as you said. He definitely has to work on that stuff. And until he can do that, I'm not sure that he can pass guys like McCaffrey, Zeke, or Saquon. To me, that's absurd. Yeah, I mean, it's it should be interesting that people are taking him just because of the quarterback with Mahomes. But I mean, it, it'd be interesting situation to see what happens in Kansas city with his usage um, going forward. But as we kind of wrap up here uh, with our fantasy segment, I'm talking to Jeff Pratt. Uh, he covers the Patriots for us and does some good fantasy work. Definitely give him a follow on Twitter. His handle is at, hotline fantasy so last question i got for you jeff um so as we kind of get into what happened in 2019 with some fantasy guys not really living up to the bill whether it's injury or offensive strategy bad head coaching bad systems who who do you think and who have you targeted uh, for the 2020 season as kind of rejuvenating their fantasy side and value and possibly going um, in a top 10 position group for them this year. Yeah. So I'm going to go a little risky with this one, but I love Brandon cooks this year. Prior to last season cooks put up five straight, a thousand plus yard seasons. He finds himself in a situation now where he should be Deshaun Watson's new number one target. If he can stay on the field, this could very well be the best season of his career. We know Brandon Cooks has top 15, maybe even top 10 fantasy potential based on what he's done in the past. And I love his potential this year in Houston's offense. Yeah, I think um, Cooks scares me a little bit. Um, and I don't necessarily disagree with him being number one uh, for Deshaun. I think it'll be good fit for Deshaun there in Houston. Um, it gives um a deep threat that maybe he necessarily didn't have. Um, but the, the biggest thing that bothers me with cooks and it makes me very cautious is his concussion issue. Um, I mean, that's a rather big, um, injury to kind of work through as a wide receiver. Um, especially with the types of hits you can take, but also just with 
diving for catches. I mean, it's not going to take much for him to have one wrong hit on his helmet uh, falling from catching a pass that could possibly knock him out and be out for three, four weeks. Yeah, you know, that is definitely the biggest red flag when we talk about Brandon Cooks. I mean, there's nothing I can say to dispel that argument. The concussions are very serious. They're, a, uh, they're the reason why Cooks is falling so far in drafts. I think you can snag him around the, round 8 to 10 in PPR redraft leagues, which is usually uh, what most of my leagues are. But, um, yeah, I mean, I can't argue with that. But I do think that if he's able to stay on the field, which is really the argument you would have to make about most of these bounce-back candidates, or at least the guys I was considering, guys like David Johnson, Juju Smith-Schuster, those were my other two candidates that I considered. All of those guys, they have injury problems. We don't really know their health. It's just another thing with Cooks, uh, especially with concussions. They're a little more touchy. But I think you can make that argument with most of these bounce-back candidates. Yeah, I'm uh, definitely a fan on the uh, David Johnson bandwagon there. I think this is a great move for him getting out of um, Arizona. Um, I think a fresh start for him is good, but um, I think he's going to be in a more conducive uh, offensive game plan to what is in Houston. Um, I definitely took him as an RB2 this year in one of my drafts. Um, and I think, and I felt like I stole him a little bit because it felt like most people weren't even really looking at him in my league when I got him. So I feel like I got really good value on him this year when I picked him up. Yeah. I mean, I like him a lot as an RB two this year. I think he has a ton of potential. You look at what he was doing in Arizona for the first five weeks last year. I think he was a top five back in uh, both PPR and half point PPR leagues. So he definitely has that potential. And then for whatever reason, Cliff Kingsbury and the Cardinals just decided to bench him. And obviously, he's come out and said that he thinks he was healthy. He knows he's healthy now. Love his potential in this Houston offense. Bill O'Brien has stated that he thinks he can use him as a three-down back. All signs are pointing towards DJ having a really good bounce back year. Yeah, I mean, I, I like DJ as a receiving running back. I mean, and he's proved it in his career um, when he finally got the starting position there in Arizona. Um, I mean, I, I understand how a lot of people too are going after Kenyon Drake um, because of the offensive style that's run in Arizona, but I have my reservations with him just in general, because th- this wasn't his first stop and he struggled a lot in the previous um, NFL teams he was on that he's been shipped around with. And it took basically him getting into, and we have to be fair with what's being run in Arizona because of who the head coach is. I mean, they're running a college style system. So I think in that in mind, that helped Drake a little bit, but at the same time, in my opinion, I still see David Johnson as a very viable back in this league. And I would still take him before I would take Kenyon Drake. Yeah, I think there's definitely an argument to be made there. I know a lot of people that are high on Drake this year, maybe even saying that he could finish as a top five back. But really, they're basing that argument off of what he did at the end of the season. They point to his big games. I think he had two or three games 
where he had almost 200 or over 200 yards from scrimmage. And I say that's yeah, fine. One, one was against the Browns, and I watched that game, and it was, I was not very happy with it either. Oh, that's tough. <laughs> it was. Yeah. But uh, realistically, then, you look at his other games, and I think he had three or four games where he was under 15 yards rushing. So it, inconsistencies are definitely going to be a problem for him this year. I think they could be exposed as he plays an entire season with this Cardinals offense. And, you know, they added a very elite receiver in DeAndre Hopkins. Kyler Murray could very well be throwing the ball more this season. I'm not loving Drake at his ADP. I'm with you. Yeah, I mean, I like I like Kyler this year, too. I think he's definitely going to finish top 15. Uh, I mean, very easily, he could be top 10 QB this year. Now, I don't say I don't think top five. But definitely um, with the type of offense that Kingsbury runs. And it's also going to be um, Kyler's second year in the system. So I, I expect some big things out of Arizona. Now, will that necessarily constitute them making um, a wild card playoff run? Not real sure because that NFC West is stacked, um, oh, man. especially that they have to go through Seattle and San Francisco. Um, so I, I think it'll be tough for them to make the playoffs, but I think they're going to be a pretty explosive team this year. Yeah, I'm with you there. From a fantasy standpoint, I do think they have three guys. If you throw in Drake, that could finish top 10 at their respective position. Uh, I, I agree with what you said. I'm not sure if, if uh, Kyler can be a top five fantasy quarterback, but from a real life standpoint, they're in such a tough division. Um, I just don't see them making the playoffs this year, but definitely they're set up for future success. Definitely. Uh, Jeff. Awesome, man. Thank you for the time. Appreciate the knowledge and hope to have you again on another time soon. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me on and uh, looking forward to hopping on another episode soon. Sounds good. Have a good one. Thanks. You too. All right, OTH fans, we're back here with the OTH Football Weekly Podcast uh, coming at you. I have Luke Zeman. Uh, You can find him on Twitter at ZLuke22. He is our uh, contributor writer for the Denver Broncos. As we are going through the AFC West here for our first episode. Luke, how are you doing tonight, man? Good, good. Thank you for having me. Good. Glad to have you and uh, look forward to seeing what we got going on here because um, Denver definitely has some interesting uh, aspects to its team going into this year. And we'll um, dive right in and dig in on this and see what we got. So uh, first up, going to throw up at you here. So Drew Locke's getting a ton of hype right now, um, definitely on the fantasy world and things of that nature. So what does it look like for year two for him um, in this offense uh, going forward? Yeah, yeah, Drew Locke is uh, is getting a lot of hype because um, we got a new offensive coordinator, Pat Shermer, uh, looking like he's going to do some good stuff there. He uh, actually liked Drew Locke in the draft. So that's good stuff there. Um, Drew Locke went 4-1 last year with 1,020 yards and seven touchdowns and three interceptions. So um, he finished the season out pretty good last year. Um, I think the hype around Drew is because um, the weapons that he has now. You know, they picked up Jerry Judy in the draft. Uh, they have Cortland Sonnen, who's now going to be the number one who did really good, you know, last year. 
Um, no Fant played up to his expectation. Uh, and then they also got like KJ Hamler, who's going to be number three, a really good number three. Um, and yeah, out of the 10 draft picks that they had, six of them were offense. So I think uh, they think Drew is the guy. They saw last year what he could do at the last five games. And they gave him as many weapons as they could this offseason. So I think that's why we're all uh, excited to see what he can do with them. Yeah, definitely uh, been pretty interesting on the fantasy side of things as I've really gotten to dig into that this year um, again after a pretty long layoff. But definitely with the weapons that uh, Denver's added with Judy and Hamler, um, I think it's going to make a big difference on how that team plays, especially Sutton's already good. Um, he is a pretty impressive wide receiver, and I think um, he's got a lot of good things coming uh, in his future going forward, which that kind of transitioned us to the second question I was posing to you. So how, how do you think the true addition of Judy is going to complement Sutton as having a true uh, wide receiver two opposite of another big playmaker? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Sutton was the number one for sure. Last year for Denver, we saw that um, I think like Tim Patrick was number two which shows you the drop-off that Denver had at wideout. So now that we have Judy, um, that will hopefully help Sutton, you know, not be the only target for Drew. Uh, hopefully, you know, they'll have a one-on-one instead of almost double-teaming them. Um, also, uh, Judy also played slot and outside. So that gives him a lot of versatility where you can put him on the field. So um, that gives uh, – Sutton can play his number one, and then you can throw Judy wherever you want out there. Uh, he's also a route runner, really good route runner, one of the best in the draft. So um, that would also get him open. So I think it will be less focused on Sutton, hopefully, and then you have to focus on both of them. So hopefully he can get up open more often. Yeah, I mean, with the I think with the addition of Judy, uh, Sutton will probably see a lot more man-man coverage because – I mean, the safeties are going to be preoccupied with fan underneath and running seam routes. And then you're going to have Judy on the opposite side or on the same side in slot position. And then you throw Hamler in on the outside with his speed. Um, Yeah. Denver can look pretty exciting this year, Um, not only uh, within their division, but also for a lot of the fantasy players out there. So it should be really exciting to see. Yes. Yep. It's going to be a different office this year for sure. So, which kind of brings us to um, probably one of, um, I would say, I would kind of call it a big free agent loss, and this will kind of pairing together a little bit um, with kind of my next two questions for you. So, with the loss of um, Melvin Gordon, um, I, I th- or sorry, with the addition of Melvin Gordon, pardon me, um, I think this brings an interesting dynamic to you guys because I was pretty high on what Lindsay was doing um, the last couple of years. So what impact do you think um, having Gordon in there is going to have on Lindsay's production overall? And do you think this is going to kind of make him a little bit, um, I'll say, I won't say necessarily upset, but like a little bit bummed that he's not going to be RB1 this year? Yeah, I can see um, how you can think that. I think uh, we, I saw some interviews with Pat Shermer, 
And what he wants to do now is spread that offense out. So it's going to be a different look for Denver's offense. They got rid of uh, Janovich, and we'll talk about, you know, key additions in who they lost in the offseason soon. But, um, yeah, I think uh, now it might be more a pass running back. You didn't want the running backs to catch the ball and then getting open. So uh, that's a lot of Gordon's um, specialty. Like last year, he had 42 receptions for 296 yards, and he only played 12 games. And uh, Lindsey only had 35 receptions for 196 yards, and he played all 16 games. I think uh, I think Pat liked Gordon because he caught the ball in the outfield, you know, out and um, did that. I think if Lindsey uh, can do that more this year, he'll still be effective in the offense. I think, uh, for instance, let's say Gordon – gets a 40-yard reception, and he has to take a break, then you can throw in Lindsey, who's also a very dynamic running back. So I think that uh, hopefully there's not a definite number one, number two. Hopefully they can you know, trade that slot of uh, receiving back and trade them off so they're fresh more often. Yeah, I mean, that's a the fair fair analysis on that one. Like my big my biggest thing with Gordon, and it's kind of one of the reasons I stay away from him on the fantasy side of things, is one, um, last year didn't look real good for himself yep. with that holdout that he had with uh, L.A. Um, it didn't. He had no no position of power to do that and make those demands, and I think it kind of led to him having really a struggle season last year because he definitely yep. had. Um, a fumbling problem last year um, that did cost the Chargers at least one game, if not maybe two. Right. Um, so it's just one of those things like in the fantasy side, I was like, yeah, I don't really know if I want Gordon too much on a team just because I can't really rely on him with um, the, the fumbling issue that he had last year. Absolutely. That's going to have to change this year. And, you know, um, with, a really good Lindsay, you know, if he is having problems fumbling the ball, then you can have uh, Lindsay go out there, which is more reliable. Yeah, and he's pretty secure with the football. So I, I, I'm a big fan of Lindsay. I think he's a good football player and would work really well in that spread style style offense. So it would be interesting to see what happens this year. So that kind of takes us in a little bit. You uh, mentioned one of your key losses, which was your fullback, um, Andy Javovich, last year. Um, he got traded to the Cleveland Browns, so yay for me. Um, <laughs> it, that gives me a nice bruiser in front of uh, my big stud, uh, Nick Chubb. But yes. um, with Shermer's having that different style offense, he doesn't run with a fullback. So – with the loss of uh, Janovich, um, who else did you kind of see as big losses for uh, the Broncos for this offseason? And what were some key additions that you had come in? I uh, Some losses that I know that we had is uh, Derek Wolf. You know, he was a big guy on the line that did a lot of damage to other, or, yeah, other offenses. So um, losing Derek Wolf was a huge loss. I know uh, Will Parks was a pretty good safety that they lost um the huge one was uh, chris harris jr who uh, kind of went downhill a little bit last year but uh, he went to the chargers so he went to a uh, divisional rival so that one 
kind of stung a little bit. But uh, John Elway did a really good job, and uh, the Broncos did a good job picking up uh, where they lost. You know, they uh, got A.J. Boye at corner for a fourth-round pick, which I thought was a pretty good trade for Boye. They got uh, Jarrell Casey. Uh, from Tennessee Titans for a seventh rounder. And Casey was a five Pro Bowl, had had been in five Pro Bowls from 15 to 19. And uh, he was in the top 100 at 92 in 2019. So for a seventh rounder, I thought that was a good pickup. Um, some other key add-ins was Gordon, if he can hold on to the ball. And um, they got another uh, Glasgow or uh, guard from Detroit who should replace yeah. McGovern, um, their center, or another guard. You know, I know that uh, um, we lost a couple from the opt-out. So, you know, another guard is really good for that line. Yeah, now that he was one of the big uh, free agent acquisitions that was a lot of teams were going after um, this offseason because I believe the Browns had showed some interest in him too to possibly fill their right guard position. Um, but they went a little bit different route. So, yeah, he was. I think that was a good add for that offensive line for you guys. Yes, I, I like him a lot. I think he'll do really good in, in the Denver's offense. He'll fit in right well. <laughs> yeah, so as we kind of finish up here, I've got Luke Zeman here. Um, he's the writer, contributor for the Denver Broncos for us. You can follow him at ZLuke22 um, at OTH. But – Finishing up today, I want to kind of get your uh, thoughts and expectations on how uh, year two is going to go under Fangio. And do you legitimately think this year, or maybe more if it's next year, that the Broncos can challenge the Chiefs for the AFC West title? Yeah, so Fangio's second year, um, he last year it was up and down. There's so many games that were – you know, to touchdown or, you know, two scores away from winning. I know that Bears game was really close. You know, I think this year with that offensive overhaul and some pretty good pickups on the defense, I feel like uh, they can definitely turn around at least go eight and eight, if not better. So I think Fangio will have a better second year, crossing my fingers. Um, And for the Chiefs, I think – that the Denver Broncos has a really good chance to compete with the Chiefs now. They have a speed guy in KJ Hamler now, uh, similar to Hill, so they have their own speed guy. Uh, they got a better corner at A.J. Boye to uh, deal with that. Hopefully uh, Bryce Callahan can come back from that injury. He never played last year. Uh, if Kareem Jackson still as well, so you got Simmons out there for the, linebacker, or for the safety. I think the defense is solid. They overhauled on the offense. Um, I feel like they could at least go one and one with the Chiefs, if not make the second game extremely close. So I, I, I think it's going to be a good year to be a Broncos fan. Yeah, I mean, the AFC West should be pretty interesting, I think, overall. Um, obviously, we have the returning uh, NFL champions from 2019 with the Chiefs kind of being the creme de la creme of the division. But I think overall with a lot of things that happen in the off season and in the draft um, and just a lot of things that are going on, um, I think the AFC West is going to be 
very uh, ch- uh, challenging and very uh, stout division, especially when you have the Raiders who are up and coming, you guys are up and coming. And then you got the chargers kind of bringing up to the end a little bit, but they've made a lot of changes this year mm-hmm. and could be uh, a spoiler for a lot of, uh, against a lot of teams they play this year. I can see that too. Yeah. They, they can be a wild card this year. Yeah. It'll be interesting to say, uh, but Luke, I want to thank you for uh, joining me today on our uh, first initial OTH football weekly podcast and hope you on again, hope to have you again on soon again uh, in the near future. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Appreciate your time. You have a wonderful night. You too.